All right, everybody, welcome back to the Moderate Majority with James and Zach. We are back in person, dude. No way. I see your grizzled face. Yeah, yeah, it is grizzled. That's COVID grizzled. The, 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 2022 yeah. grizzled. I, I, I see long COVID has left its <laughs> funk all over you. <laughs> you look like Goo Boy now. Or, <laughs> no, or, you know, no. Or how I imagine him no. like if he ever showed his face from the Raptors no, you in know the bunker. What he looks like he's your. He's your child. He's my my goose son, <laughs> my my fourth kid that none of my other kids know about. <laughs> that you can keep in the yeah. keep in the man cave. Pasha, let me free. <laughs> I can't do it as good as you, oh. but I did. Uh, okay, so we should say uh, since, uh, well, this is our fifth episode. Yeah, our fifth episode of the second season, uh, and obviously you can probably tell in our voices. We, yeah, there's a lot of relief. Yeah. Uh, I, you know. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Most of us, you know, had to go to the bathroom probably somewhere in the last, like, 24 hours and just were, like, had to release all the tension. <laughs> uh, but, but you know. Probably it, too much information. Yeah, it, it, it was. But it was, a good, it was a good kind of tension release. Yeah. Um, we're calling this episode, Oh Crap, Democracy Just Kicked MAGA in Their No-No Box. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of box episodes. Yeah, a lot of No-No Box episodes. These are the only two we'll have. But, but man, did the American people come through. And democracy and and those those two titles that we have back to back there for episode four and yeah. five just work so well yeah. together. It just I think almost, we should. So it's almost like we planned it. Yeah, almost. But I think we should probably throw that out there as we 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 were we were kind of thinking we were never going to be able to use this title. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, yeah. That's I true. called Zach on uh, election night and the early numbers were coming in and uh, it went dark real quick for me. <laughs> I was just like. Uh, <laughs> It's over, Zach. It's over. It's it's all gone now. The the world is a different place. Yeah. We're all gonna die. And Zach's like, Yeah, dude, I totally feel you. And then like twenty <laughs> minutes later, he calls me back, like, Well, actually, if you look at the numbers, James, it's actually it's actually looking pretty good for us. And I was like, Really? Really? I gotta go to bed. So just text me in the middle of the night sometime. And uh, you know, went to bed all grizzled and tossed you, and turned. And you, woke up the next day going. You know what? Zach was right. Oh, yeah. So bad. Yeah, he called me back. He's like, man, I, even after I was... T- he's like... He, he, yeah, James called the next morning. He's like, dude, uh, first thing, and I know there's a lot of exciting news that we've gotten but uh, since I went to bed, but I, I just want to apologize to you because um, even my wife was like, holy shit, sweetie, that that was dark. Yeah. Yeah, my wife was like, this doesn't even sound like you. And I, I think that was like my, my pent-up stress was just going, you know what, dude, I'm just going to go full-blown negative, and I'm just going to be a... a a dick to every everybody and everybody who who wants to call me because I get a lot of phone calls during election season because people know that this is something you know that I nerd out on, and uh, even my sister called me and she's not you know one hundred percent into this stuff right and uh, I'm like yeah, it's all over Shan you know there's no reason to even who who gives a shit you know and <laughs> she's like yeah I think I'm just gonna let you go uh, we'll talk later <laughs> I'm like okay. So I was like that grizzled old dude that yeah. was just in the corner going, it's all over, guys. Yeah. You're the Unabomber. Yeah. Well. You had your hood on. Well, you, had the, you had the shitty glasses. Well. You're, ready to move to a, you're ready to move to a cabin. <laughs> and you're like, you're like, if maggot takes over, they come for me. This whole thing's going up. That, I want that regardless. I want, to, I want to be on a plot of land and let me feel the lack. <laughs> oh. A quote from the Thin Red Line, folks. <laughs> there we go. Sean Penn. Um, okay. So. Uh, James and I are going to get into this a little bit later, uh, you know, uh, I think, and we touched on this last week, so, you know, it's it's impossible if you follow this stuff and you care to get swept up uh, by the polling, the pre-polling, and, and we talked about, you talked about in particular some of the pollsters that you were you were, you know, following and they were saying that this, if you're forecasting this and these, these people that are putting out forecasts 
are, are way the hell off. And, and let's be honest, uh, 538, because of their wide scope of their macro, blew it again. Bluey, the guy, or Blue, the guy who uh, Silver had this kind of talk with about two or three days before, who was like, our macro is really skewed, so I never follow that. I look at our micro, and our micro says that the Dems actually have a legit shot at this, and if they don't, it's going to be so razor thin. Mm-hmm. And the micro, apparently, which maybe they should advertise, was right, because their macro was way the hell off. Yeah, And they went off of traditional forecasts and we now have a midterm that for the first time in 90 years say that again 90 the first years. time in 90 years did not go the way that it goes from the clinton era on first midterm for a sitting president and his coming party they lose 37 seats on average that means clinton between clinton obama and trump that was the average amount of seats that their party lost flipped yep. in the house yeah <laughs> in the first midterm um as we speak and this is why it's so destructive uh, for MAGA. And, well, MAGA is responsible for Republicans being in the position that they're in. We've Democrats have won the Senate, regardless of what happens in Georgia. They have 50. It's 50 to 49 right now. There'll be a runoff on December 6th in Georgia. But currently, as we sit, they've only called uh, 415 of the races. Okay? And there's, so there's 20 races left to call in the House. So it's still And it's up. Sunday morning yeah. after the election which is nuts that they haven't called We're these. almost a week out, and we still don't know who's going to control the House. Right, and that is, a, I mean, yeah. It's, For it to be in doubt yeah, this long. Yeah, Republicans insane. have 211 called races, and Democrats have 204. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, before we kind of get into the marrow, though, here, I think since this is our intro aspect, we're going we're gonna to finish, we're going to talk real quick about kind of just how we feel. And, and I think we should use this portion to you know, maybe give credit where credit's due. Uh, I, I owe some apologies to the American people because I was super freaking out when we did our thing, it, hence the name of our show. Um, but, you know, there were real messages being put out there and you, you were t- looking, it was almost like this tidal wave was coming at the last second out of nowhere. And we, granted, were like, it's hard to believe that this is going to happen, like, it, like they're saying it is, but at the same time, that this is the power of media. It, even even 100%. even people like us who who deep dive into these things just it, it hits your feels and your it draws you away from the analysis well there's so and, much at and, stake and the facts and there's so much at stake yeah right? so uh before we go though um we brought back our secret special awesome uh guest from uh last episode mr rowan our 10 year old superhuman is lucky charm yeah lucky charm <laughs> And also, uh, we're, he's he's already on the third book, Carl's third book of Path to Power. You know, we no, just kidding. He's he's like he's probably about fifty more pages in. But uh, Ro, I think just give us a sense of uh, okay. This kid has a certain bedtime. I won't say what it is. Probably sits in the average range of of where most ten year olds are in American families. Um, I am that dad when there are important things like this. And he was supposed to be in the bunk uh, in his room. And it was like 11.45 p.m. on Tuesday night. And I was like, whoa! Like in my room thinking I was being quiet. And then I heard this. Dad, what happened? <laughs> we, just flipped a, we just flipped a seat in Michigan. Yes! So, so, so Ro, uh, Sunday morning, you know, five, five days out from from the election, midterm election. How are you feeling? Uh, well, the polls were wrong and the red wave did not happen. 
Uh, yes, that's true. Uh, who was it? Um, Stephen Colbert on the Late Show was like, it was more of a pink trickle. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's a pink trickle. Uh, it may not even be a pink trickle. It may end up being a blue trickle hmm. uh, if certain seats are in play and like some of these seats still old, are. Like swollen prostate. <laughs> trickle. Yeah, yeah. Trickle. It's not coming out. <laughs> but but I mean, just emotionally, how are you feeling? Like I see this look on your face right now. How are you feeling? Like how do you feel with the results? Excited. <laughs> this. We actually won when everyone said we weren't. We d- Democrats made it through. We won the Senate, and I doubt it, but there's a small chance we might win the House. Yes, there's a, win both. there's a small Since you brought that up, I will say, from what we're looking at with numbers and the sources that have been very accurate in terms of where you count votes left, and, and you know, these websites, New York Times, uh, I'm sure all the major news websites do. I tend to go to CNN because although they when we did our media bias, they skew a little bit left. Um, MSNBC is a, a wee bit more left and Fox news. I, I just don't. So, um, Actually, yeah, I mean, it's sad because Fox news used to have a really a good great election, election. So yeah, like, election team. And like they, they, they after Trump, it's they, been dismantled. They, yeah. You literally saw despair on the faces of the anchors when they were calling these races yeah. that night. And when you go to your news, you see despair based on results from anchors. Unless, like, somebody was, like, voting for Hitler and you knew that, like, yeah. there were going to be killings, Fox, mass killings Fox the knows that, I mean, they're pandering to a, a particular demographic. And, and in order to keep their business model up, they have to. Right. So, I mean, I don't forgive them for that, but I understand what they're doing, you know. So, you, you're, you're basically thrilled yes. that, that democracy kicked MAGA in the no-no box. Yes. <laughs> you just said it. Uh, okay, so did, do you... You're feeling great. Um... Do these results change how you were... Because you, you just expressed to us in a lot of the things that you said last episode. You were expressing like just a lot of disbelief that people in America could, could vote for these people. Do you feel like your view of American voters has changed a little bit based on yes. these results? So, so what are you thinking now? Um, well, they actually were um, willing to not vote for the... Cr- for the crazy people and vo- and vote for the people who um well weren't crazy and um well I just didn't think they could based on what I'd seen before I didn't think they could would do that yeah I, mean, I wasn't expecting it to back up what what Rose feel that sense of feeling and I was just we looking, were all feeling uh, yeah I was just looking in battleground states at this point um but at this point if you go with House races Senate races governorships Secretary of States in districts that were considered moderate districts or had been or are still kind of competitive races uh maga maga selected um candidates have lost 20 at this point which is stunning I yeah, mean that yeah. like and and and, and let, don't get me we're not going to gloss over this a lot of them were were very close but the point being is if the republicans had not outprimaried moderates like, like in almost every battleground competitive district where they primaried or forced a retirement from the House Republicans who voted to impeach Donald Trump after January 6th, they lost those seats. Yeah. Well, I, think, I think more importantly, they lost every um, statewide election official that was going to cert- be in charge of certifying the elections. Yeah. Every every MAGA candidate lost. Her, every single one. Herrera Butler was a moderate Republican in the 
in I think it's Washington three. It's the south. It's the southwest district. So it's got Vancouver, Washington. Again, not I'm not misspeaking. Vancouver, Washington, which is right across the river from Portland. Um, but then there's a there's a, a farming kind of agrarian area that falls into the um, into that district. When you head north a little bit before you start getting into the the urban um, kind of sprawl of Seattle and and um, Tacoma, Tacoma, um, and the coastal communities are kind of blue collar. They're more industrial in that area, that southern area, too. They're not liberal-like as you go further up the coast. So it has typically been a, a Republican kind of stronghold in a, in a not, like, rural, rural area. Um, the 538, so, they, so she, was, she was primaried by, I believe, only 5% of the vote. It was a close race by Kemp, this Trumpo, uh, MAGA person. And even with him in the race, Perez, who was the Democrat who won the primary there, 538 gave Perez a 2% chance to win the race. Mm-hmm. 98 to 2. Yeah. It's the biggest upset in the congressional election so far. 98 to 2. And we will say this, and this is bringing a smile to all of our faces. She looks like she's probably going to pull it off, but it's so close they haven't called it. Lauren Boebert. <laughs> in her rural district in Colorado is currently up by a thousand votes and there's votes to count and she's not claimed victory and they have not called that race and that is stunning. That is stunning. Yeah, because she became one of the faces yeah, of that. There, there's been a, there was a huge, for moderate Republicans, they did very, very well last night. MAGA in, MAGA in, uh, in, in moderate, particularly in New York, uh, state that was uh, that, that's a whole kind of and that's going to be when we come back to it or when we talk a little bit later when when we finish the intro row goes um, we're going to talk about how this was very regional based yeah. in terms of how things were yeah were, New were, York is a tell of two cities literally right right literally. yeah 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 um, MAGA candidates and election deniers in the deep south and the really red did Midwest well. did well because these were Jerry I mean these it's are, just they're gerrymandered and, and they're on and, 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 and this is the, this is really the birthplace of. Yeah, but of, it, of in every place where it actually mattered, where elections are won and lost, they just got spanked. The only the only election that they won that I can think of that's big is Lombardo, the governor of Nevada. But Mar- the Marchant, uh, who <laughs> is a psychopath, lost Secretary of State. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and 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 uh, uh, Cortez Masto against Lexalt was a close one, and uh, but but. She's gonna, she's she gonna pull it, it out. So, yeah. um, okay, that's how that's how Roe felt. So you're just feeling relieved, basically. Yes. Yeah, I, and I know that, but I wanted the listeners to hear that. So it's nice to see a smile on your face, and for me to be sitting here and not. I mean, I think when I went back and listened to the episode just to see how everything played out, I think the part that like really stuck with me, and I and I played I played some of this for some people, and I got a reaction that was like, "Wow, that's really sad." Um, and and Jimmy said it during the episode, but when you were like why am I alive right now? Like, why do I have to live in this time? Mm-hmm. Like no 10 year old kid or really any kid should feel that way. Yeah. Especially based, a kid based off of the direction of politics yeah. in the country, like to, to be able to feel like things are slipping. So, so it was huge. Uh, Jimmy, let's kick it over to you. I mean, just in terms of just visceral reaction, in our intro here, like what, what's your kind of, what's your, we're going to go into the marrow. Yeah. Anything you want to say? Kind I, th- of I think Rowan, Rowan said it best. I mean, there's a, there's a, there's a part of it being you know, of you being relieved. Um, I can I feel like I can, you know we can take a, a breath for about ten or twelve days here, and then we're gonna have to get into the twenty twenty four cycle, right? Uh, because 
I think we were talking, you know, in our personal conversations that these next three, and we were talking about 2018, these were, these elections are really going to determine what the next, like, 15 yeah, to 60 to years. I mean, yeah. uh, and it could change the, the country dramatically yeah. in terms of structure. And just before we started actually <clears throat> recording this, um, you know, we're talking about democracy in America. And, and uh, democracy in terms of the structure is doing well, right? I mean, right. nothing's structurally changed other than there seems to be an attack on the structures, the guardrails of our country. Right. Um, hence, you know, there was a reason why the MAGA folks put up a slate of candidates for the Secretary of State's positions in multiple states that are responsible for certifying elections. It's not like we were stupid and we didn't know what they were trying to do. Right. You know, they were taking the long way around trying to decertify 2020. Um, I think, um, you know, my, my faith in the American people myself included, it waxes and wanes, right? In terms right. of of terms of what what we're seeing and what results we get at the polls or at the you know, on an election day. But I will say that the American people, uh, based on what we're seeing with the exit polls and how it broke, were much more nuanced in this election than probably ever before in my lifetime. I mean split ticket voters, remember yeah. we were always talking about do those people even exist? Well they do exist in a big way. Right. You see that in Georgia, right? Kemp walks away with the governorship, but you have this battle that's going on with with Warnock and, and all of that. So those folks who showed up for Kemp didn't show up for Herschel. No. No. Um and you see that across the board. Yeah. So obviously people were much more nuanced in their approach this time. Yeah. I think people um, saw inflation as not such a, you know, it, it is a dire situation for some families. Right. And it is a pain in the ass for most people to have to deal with inflationary costs. But they were voting based on, I think, the, their best guess of who was going to do the most most to, to help them. Right. Um, you know, and we, we saw one party put up not only a plan, but they had passed already legislation. Right. Um, and we also have a, a party that put up no plan that was running basically just as pointing, you know, pointing fingers at the other guys saying, right. Hey, look at these guys. They don't know what they're doing. The radical Democrats don't know. Um, listen, I have no problem perusing over the policies of the right. If you put up a policy, right. But if you don't put up a policy, you don't put up that fight that, and you just expect that you're going to win because the other guys, you know, you're saying are doing such a lousy job. Right. That's not, that's not a policy. That's not a plan. And the only plan that really got a lot of traction in this entire election season was Rick Scott's, right? right. The sunset clause. Everybody, right. we got every five years, all these major programs have to go away and then we have to re, we have to renegotiate them. I mean, you're talking about social security, Medicare. So what happens to those folks who are on these, you know, we all are going to be on social security. We're all eventually going to go to Medicare. So right. what happens in five years? Well, it sunsets and we're going to have to get it back. These people don't have access to the medical care or they don't have any income while Congress is trying to hash it out. It's like that was piss poor, Rick Scott. And people sent a very strong signal to you that your plans are just, are just not workable or not tenable. Yeah. So am I feeling relieved? Um, yes. Uh, I think we still have a lot of work to do and to, to stave off Trumpism. I think it's going to take probably two or three more election cycles to really rid ourselves of this where it becomes – you know, a small caucus within Congress that are MAGA folk. But as of right now, I think that the American people, and I will say this, I've, I've said it last time, David Brooks, um, before the election, I mentioned this last time, came out with a really good article about, you know, 
whoever's going to win, it's going to be by razor thin margins. Right. Um, and then um, he came out with another really good take on, you know, the fever. I think it's called the the fever is breaking, right. where he talks about something he coins a performative pop performative populism, right. and which he calls out the left and the right, you know, the same way. But obviously, one's criminal and the other one is simply just trying to get itself elected to to, to do policy work. Um, but that's a really good article. I urge everybody to check it out. In which he basically says that maybe this is the end of performative populism. Yes. Or the beginning of the end. Yeah. I mean, and we mentioned Lauren Boebert before. She is quintessential uh, face of performative populism. For sure. And you know, also like, Marjorie Taylor. Like on, yeah. On on Veterans Day, she, uh, Boebert made this Twitter post, you know, thanking the troops. And then somebody had reposted it and put every bill that she's voted against that would help veterans out. Yeah. Like, no on every single one. Yeah. That's performative populism. When you go act like you're for somebody, mm-hmm. but when it comes down to it, you don't stand by them at all. Or getting up in the State of the Union and screaming at the president yeah, while he's yeah. giving the speech. Exactly. So, yeah, do I feel relieved? I, I do. I, I think, um, you know, it, it took a... How can I say this? It was a much better performance than I thought leading up. I, I think the polls are wrong. I'm a little... T- I didn't go to 538 this election cycle too much because, uh, you know, uh, I'm sick of Nate Silver forecasting wrong and then having to basically clean up for the next, like, six months of, like, well, if you look at the numbers this way, we were right. And it's like, his the polling is great. I mean, he, he the collection of data he gets is yeah. great. The forecasting is... It's just atrocious. And I think he should just stop forecasting. Yeah. I mean, maybe best guess scenario and yeah. then not use such definitive language as, you know, this is going to be go, a go, off, go off your micro polls, Nate. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no reason. There's no reason to even forecast the election. I don't think that, that, that I don't think that that's something that the American people like um, either way. Well, when, you know? when, when morning, when mar- morning consult puts out four polls a day and you include that into your averages every single day. Yeah. And they're polling like how many people do they poll? Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, it, yeah. And, and how I, are they getting a hold of everybody when that was the biggest complaint? Yeah. That was a non-response right. bias. It's like, how are you getting a hold well, of these people? Well, the big polls, usually the ones that have Romero do it maybe once or twice a month. Cause that's, that. it, it takes that long to yeah. put it together. Right. And they really, they're they're really dotting their eyes and crossing their t's. Where morning morning consult is like, uh, just hey guy, how do you feel about it on the street? Yeah. Uh, I feel this way. Great, let's add that in there, buddy. <laughs> I'm not talking shit about morning consult. I'm sure they they have their their methods, right? But how they get a hold of people so quickly, I don't understand. Yeah, it's when I, everybody else is just completely saying. I mean, you have pollsters who are getting out of the business after this. Yeah, I was I, I was sit, I was I would sitting there looking early on when the whole kind of morning consult phenomenon 538 on their daily start showing up i'm like I'm like wait no they ran that one twice because they already put their that, i saw that I this know, morning yeah. i'm like wait that's a that's a that's a second morning console poll yeah, <laughs> on weird, the, right? the same day yeah so i, I like their micro uh, uh, snapshot i think people can can make their own minds up that way but I, I mean you know we also don't understand the necessarily the dichotomy i know you mentioned this a lot of times when our conversation is are they forecasting it this way to get people out to vote or are they just forecast? And I think what we found out was they're forecasting with a really a, a, a right wing sort of heavy slant because they do have such a non-response bias on, especially on the right. Like you talk to most people on the left, they're going to tell you what they're thinking on the right uh, because of, of Trumpism. Everything's a mass conspiracy. Like, Hey, I'm just calling to see how you feel. Well, why do you want to know? Yeah. I'm gonna, I got to put on my tinfoil hat, bro. You're trying to get into my brain thoughts. Martha the lizard people are at the back door. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. It's like uh, I'm changing my phone number. How did you get this number? You know, it's like I just I think they the overweighted the Republican side, and I will obviously get into just how the numbers broke, but also, you know, the big picture. Like you have to stand for something other than 
we need to warp our entire existence for the benefit of one candidate, I, I think is huge. And that, and listen, man, I'm happy that MAGA got smacked in the no-no box. You know, I'm, I'm very happy for that, you know, um, because I think, you know, you give me a moderate Republican, we can talk policy all day long. In fact, those are conversations I love to have. But if you're, if, bottom line is, Zach, it's almost as if we've, we have a shared reality again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, How do you I, 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 I just smiled when you were saying the, you know, that because I, I was imagining, you know, the gifts that are out there and I was imagining the Simpsons gif uh, with Ralph Wiggum standing there and going, why does everyone always leave me? <laughs> but like putting, while but he's put, urinating, yeah, while he's urinating in his pants as it pans out and there's nobody around him. Yeah. Yeah. That, that was MAGA. Yeah. <laughs> that was MAGA yeah. after this election. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I think I, we're going to jump into it. I think I want to just, um, you know, I call that young people. Um, young people came out to vote the same way they always do. They're, they usually fall uh, in these elections between about 11 to 13% of the electorate. They were 12. Um, where I'm going to give them credit is they expanded their percentage of points on voting for Democrats over Republicans. So obviously some of these, these cultural things that Republicans were doing, you know, whether it be January 6th or Roe v. Wade being overturned, um, you know, obviously had an impact on the youth vote. So they, they didn't come out in any bigger numbers. You know, I really, again, wish they would. They, they make up a much larger percentage of our population than... It's their world. Yeah, it's eight... eight and we're, when we're saying this, we're saying like 18 to 30-year-olds, to basically, uh, folks. But yeah, I, you know, I, I just... I don't understand. But then, then again, um, and we'll get into this too, Democrats as a percentage of the voters were, were the lowest percentage. Um, and, and you would expect that in a midterm... I don't really ever understand why that is. You would think as a party you'd want to defend your people. Um, we know that we're prob- we won't have 52 seats because Milwaukee had the lowest turnout, uh, lowest turnout in like the past four or five election cycles. Um, if like even one or two percent more of the people who typically come out to vote in Milwaukee had, um, Mandel LeBron would be their new senator because he, he lost by or when it's all tied up, I think it'll probably be somewhere around 20,000 votes. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but you know it was very regional based and and I think that's my biggest takeaway is um I for the first time in my life uh since I've been voting people the majority of Americans who went to the polls voted for the race the two people or the two or three people that were right in front of them meaning running in their district or running in their state if you're looking at senator or or running for their governor they didn't attach how they felt about Joe Biden to those races. They didn't attach how they felt to Donald Trump to those races. They didn't attach the party identity to those races. Am I saying that there weren't people that didn't know? We have numbers. We know that people did. We know that people did. Mm-hmm. Republicans, with their loyalty to the Republican brand and Trump, voted twice as much because of that brand in how they voted in this midterm than Democrats did. But when you take the independents, the Democrats, and the Republicans as a whole, including Republicans by themselves, the majority of those people did not take into the brand or the leader of their parties into their vote. They, they looked at the people, and that is the first time I've ever seen that happen. And to me, regardless of how that breaks, if that's how Americans are going to start voting, then democracy has a real shot of surviving this and coming out of it stronger, actually. So I think that's my, my wrap-up for how I feel at this point. Um, okay, so that's our long intro. Um, Roe, 
Thanks for coming and joining us for the intro. Yeah, thanks, Lucky Charm. I got to um, get it, get to be a part of another, which you guys told me before we started, no one else has ever done that. Twice, so yeah. So I am honored. <laughs> <laughs> You're the only one that's been ever been honored to be on this show, yeah. too. Uh, and if the, if, the, if the numbers on the podcast plays keep keep performing the way that they have since you've been joining our, our show we may just have you come in for an intro every week and just talk to you about what you Jay, well the, we'll have we'll have a segment at the end of the show called uh fireside book book club chats with james and Rowe. <laughs> all right uh we will come back with our ukrainian update man there's a lot of juicy yeah, good stuff to talk about stuff. there too all right we will see you guys in a sec All right, everybody, and welcome back to The Moderate Majority with James and Zach and our season two, episode five. Oh, crap. Democracy just kicked MAGA in, its no, in their no-no box. It's crazy that we're, in season, we're already in episode five. It doesn't feel like we're in episode five because of the COVIDs and the, well, the, the threat of COVIDs. <laughs> yeah, but if you actually look at our timeline, we were going to start season two at like the end of August, early September, yeah. and, and it's the middle of November, Jay. Yeah, <laughs> we're in our fifth episode. My bad. <laughs> my bad i take i take that vacation in october just throws us all off yeah yeah you have a life yeah. you know that this podcast just doesn't agree with <laughs> um so okay this is our ukrainian update section um because we don't want this to be a two or two and a half hour episode uh we'll try and get to the marrow of this but uh massive news um the entire west bank uh, southern front for the Russians has collapsed in it, it collapsed in a matter of 36 hours. Um, and the Ukrainians now have retaken the provincial capital city of Kherson, uh, which I'm going to apologize right now. I, I, I just remembered I've been calling it Kherson. I, I, you get into this way of pronouncing, uh, you know, the names of some of these places, the way that you see them and you read them with the phonetical pronunciation of, uh, of the letters and the sounds they make right in in uh in your alphabet for your language and i know we have a fairly large uh, european following so i know i'm always butchering those we're gonna those continue things. that <laughs> i, I want to call out zach has gotten really good at correcting himself on how to explain like how to pronounce some of these uh, places so when he calls me up in the middle of the week going dude this just happened in some city and i'm like where is that again? And it's like, oh no, this is what I've been calling it. And I'm like, man, you've come a long way, Zach. <laughs> By the end of this, you might even speak Ukrainian. Yeah, I might. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, the 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 importance of this victory it's uh, epic. is epic. Yeah. yeah. The, the Ukrainians were talking about when they were, you know, in in early summer, talking about how they were going to start building up for this and they're going to retake the South. Most people just laughed at them. Not us. I think we are always believers, but um, most people laughed at them. And when they said, we'll take it before the end of the year, back before the end of this year, even more people were like, okay, well, slow your roll. Slow down, down there. Um, but you, yeah. And, you guys and are good, but you're not that good. If there are people listening who are like, well, the Russians, you know, chose to fall back because, listen, they didn't, trust me, they did not give that up willingly. If they chose to fall back, it was somewhat somebody with somewhat of some sense of military tactical aspect because... The military 
uh, precision use of HIMARS and medium to long range artillery strikes on the bridges and the logistic hubs and the supply depots. The Ukrainians have just been insanely brilliant in being patient and just eroding the ability of the enemy to be able to hold positions where the Russians in this war have thrown men into the meat grinder, equipment into the meat grinder with full front, you know, full frontal assaults again and again and again every day, pounding areas with mass bombardment, which is just chewing up their their artillery uh, shell and munitions reserves. Um, the Ukrainians have, you know, I'm sure with, you know, um, in speaking to, you know, the U.S. and the Brits and Western intelligence and NATO have become a very Western military. It's, it's about patience. It's about precision strikes. It's about eroding the ability of your, and I mean, even the breakthrough and the, and the taking back of the Kharkiv region and Luhansk, these strong points, they harass and hit and strike and degrade, but they hit flanks and they break around and they make those positions untenable. And so then it's this chaotic retreat and then they slaughter while the retreat's going on and they slide in. And so here song was not tenable, especially with winter coming up. And this was completely the doing of the Ukrainian military. And then when the Russians started to withdraw, they didn't wait. They just followed them right down the roads. And which is why it was so fast and so quick. And everybody thought, well, there'll at least be a fight for the city. You know, the Russians will pull back at Nova Karkova and, and Kherson. There'll be, be a fight. Yeah, they were building these pillboxes and, and you know, no, did, didn't he have time to organize a defense? They were, they were in there so quick. Yeah. Um, no military ever chooses to retreat. They do so to, in order to keep an right. army in the field. And, and retreating in order so that you don't lose ground like this is very difficult to do. And I think the Russians are finding that out. You don't just get to decide to do it. And yeah. for people that don't understand military strategy, I, I'm not going to waste our time trying to explain it because I won't get that point across. But there's just so much that goes into war and, and frontline units and supporting units and those types of things. It's like moving a freight train. You know, I, it's like it's hard to yeah. it's hard to do. I, I'm I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna position over or switch over real quick. Uh, well, one more thing, having having the provincial capital back um, is going to some. I, I read some some kind of pro Russian analysis. Oh, this is great because we're going to be able to take all these troops and put them onto the Zaporizhia front and move them back over to Donetsk and strengthen the Luhansk line in the northeast. No, you're not. Um, they're going to have to probably use, if they're smart, at least two-thirds of those soldiers, if not more, to start a secondary line of defense in Crimea and to hold the left bank, or sorry, yeah, no, the, the eastern bank of the Dnipro River. Um, and I think there's areas where the Ukrainians are probably going to come from amphibious landings, probably... I don't know when, I'm not going to say that, but it's going to happen. And they can't even cover all that real estate. The amount of land that's open and flat between now the Dnipro River and the part of Kherson that the Russians control, and I mean that as the oblast, not the city, um, and the beginning of what is officially Crimea amounts to about 70 kilometers. Guboy is getting super excited about all this military talk. <laughs> he, he just made his, made his noise up there again. Um, that is not very far. Uh, that is not very far at all. Um, it is, uh, about half the distance between, uh, Los Angeles and San Diego <laughs> for anybody who knows California, uh, geography, uh, you can get down to San Diego in a car in about an hour and a half when there's not too much traffic. 
So these are these are this strip of land that the Russians now control that they're extended out in the south um, is is not good for them. On the other hand, the Ukrainians had massive buildup on the Kherson front. Now that they have the banks covered, and these and the Russians blew all the bridges for them on their way out. Um, they, on the other hand, can send probably about 80% of their forces over to the Zaporizhia Donetsk region, and some of their best units were fighting in the south on that Kherson front against some of Russia's best units and chipping away and taking and taking, and that's going to be a problem. So when, a country, when one side is retreating and needing to hold lines because the other side keeps pressing, you need to keep the, the, the force of generation of power that you have there so you can continue to hold it when the next assault comes. And because of the advantage that the Ukrainians now have with Western weapons, they don't need as many troops to do what they what they need to do. Uh, just this morning, uh, the units of the Russians have retreated to the other side of the river and they're still congested. They don't know where they want to put them. And the Ukrainians made a HIMARS precision strike on a grouping of about 500. And from what I could read, tell, and the uh, footage that was coming out locally, it was... Um, disastrous and devastating um yeah if you already don't know where your soldiers are gonna go yeah after something like that i understand it's it's hard to for logistics to move people in, in personnel and and material but that that just goes to show just how how quickly they were running and and, and, that, the, and that there was never a plan that this could there's go no plan badly b. There's no yeah there's no plan b of like hey if this goes bad and yeah. we lose this ground this is where we're gonna like it's going yeah. to be interesting. I, I know you're not done with your assessment yet, but it's going to be interesting to see what Putin's response is to this. Because is another general going to swing for this? I mean, are we going to have to? Are we going to see another, another change of leadership? I think. You know? I think they're out of competent generals at this point. Um, yeah, I mean, the ones that aren't dead have been fired. And, I, and when I say know? competent, I mean like you know that yeah. with air quotes. Because yeah. clearly, this is an incompetent army from the top down. It's dysfunctional. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is this is not this is not the Soviet army of of yesteryear you know, yeah yesteryear mm-hmm. um so i'm going to swip over sweet slip over shift over to the um political side of this mm-hmm. which i know jimmy is always kind of you know more your exciting bag i know you like the strategy side but the political side is, is an important component here um let's talk about uh because i think when when was it? friday friday morning i think it was friday morning um, I haven't adjusted the time change here in America that we had going, you know, daylight savings. So I'm still waking up, you know, when I was, which is now around 530 instead of 630 in the morning. Um, and I woke up and I was, you know, basically crying for an hour watching these videos. Um, one, the Ukrainians haven't, you know, haven't taken a back a city like this. And there's 350,000 people that live in Kherson. That's a that's a very large city. Um, so typically, when you watch liberation videos with locals coming out, they're they're going through places that they liberated where there was like you know, eight hundred people that lived there before the battle started. Yeah, and and most of them had left, so the people that couldn't leave. Um, this was very different. Uh, you're watching these. You're watching. They're they're still you know by Russian estimates you know somewhere around a hundred to one hundred twenty thousand people that didn't flee from Kherson. Um, that stayed behind, and they all came out to like the the city square. I mean, the, yeah, the, it kind of looked like uh, World War Two footage. You yeah, know what I mean, like when, yeah. when cities were liberated and people came out. <clears throat> CNN got over there. <coughs> Excuse me. CNN got over there, 
and ran a interview with a English speaking woman, a young woman, maybe in her twenties or early thirties with a bunch of people in this crowd and a mass, like thousands, tens of thousands of people, but a group right there. And he was kind of trying to go through his closing spiel. And then these older women started singing the Ukrainian national anthem. And then all the people that were in the area just started singing it mm-hmm. while they were filming live. And he wasn't going to yell. He just stopped and he just like looked at everybody and you could see he was kind of emotional. And when they, they were starting to wrap it up and the tone was going down, he goes, and it was pretty brilliant on his part. Like it's probably going to be one of, one of his favorite, like, you know, professional moments as a journalist. Cause mm-hmm. obviously this wasn't supposed to happen, but he was like, this is what liberation sound or looks like. This is what liberation sounds like mm-hmm. back to you. And like, yeah, I, you know, I saw a video, um, one of uh, this woman who's fairly well-to-do, like I, you could see her house behind her wall in, in the city, um, grandmother, and she was in her doorway. A lot of Ukrainian homes have these courtyards, these walled-off courtyards. They don't have open front yards like we do. Um, and uh, these troops were marching by a unit, and one of the people in the troops, in that unit was uh, her grandson, full combat gear, and she saw him. And because he obviously was waiting until they got to the house. Yeah, see Nana's He's, house. Yeah, he looks over, sees Nana, they make eye contact. She just drops to the ground on her knees sobbing and he breaks rank as they're moving and runs over to her and picks her up. And they just like held each other and you're just, you know, I just... Um, there was a lot of iconic images coming out of that. Yeah, week, yeah, know? yeah. I think, Jimmy, you said it best. Uh, I was talking to somebody at work on Friday while I was sharing some of the update because not a lot of these people follow it but are like interested. They're like, hey, how are things, how are things in Ukraine going? You know? Yeah. Um, and I was saying, you know, you to talking to some of the older people at work, uh, who are like into history, it's like, you know, it's like when you see the photos from like Paris yeah. that are black and white, you yeah. know, um, but like you're seeing it live in those numbers. But I guess on the political side, what I wanted to throw into this was, and I, and I, you started really quickly from Russian propaganda and, uh, these Russian mill bloggers who these, this footage could not be hidden. And a couple of these guys were like. So uh, our referendum there said that 87% of the Ukrainian people wanted to be a part of Russia, but I'm looking at still pictures of like 50 to 60,000 people filled out in the center of the square with Ukrainian flags everywhere. And I know how big Kherson is and we know how many people fled to the Ukrainian lines. So am, am I really to believe that my country is spending all this money on just blatant lies? Is this what's really going on? Because that's clearly not not eighty seven percent. Yeah, there there becomes a precipice where propaganda propaganda can't hold back the reality. Right, and I think that's a kind of a good way of saying that this is the reason I think why Zach and to some extent myself is so they were so interested in Ukraine because you have people there who are literally fighting for democracy. We've said this yeah. before, and that's you know we're we're fighting for democracy by the ballot box, right, and. So it's it it shows it's a tell of two worlds, right? These people have been invaded, and they're fighting for their own country, for for a burgeoning democracy, all of these things. And when you see um, a city like Kyrgyzstan, or I'll say Kyrgyzstan, yeah. gets liberated, um, and you see the jubilation on people's face and the relief because these Russians, I mean, what we found out is these people are in winter now or getting into getting winter. Into it, yeah. They have no electricity. There's there's no heating, right? right? There's no um, there's no water, and there's no like, you know, Wi-Fi. There's no 
there's no way to connect to the to the world at large. I mean, these, these folks have been fairly isolated and that's how propaganda typically works, right? You have to isolate a whole bunch of folks, right? And, and just feed them a, a barrage of shit, a lot of lies. And, um, and, but there comes a time, you know, cause reality is a really fickle thing, dude. It always, always comes to, you know, always, always rears its ugly little head back uh, and says, you know, Hey, I'm still here. Um, and I think the Russian propagandists, you were talking about the guys who were actually in the field and that's been really what I've been looking at too, or yeah. these guys who are in the field who are you know, trying to carry the water for, for the Russian sort of propaganda line. These guys are now seeing that it's not, I mean, yeah. not that I think they probably saw before you saw, it's been an evolution of some guys going, no, no, that's not what's happening here. Right. But I think Kyrgyzstan is one of those places that is like you know, the mask is off, right. right? This is what it is. Well, when you're moving forward and you're taking land at the beginning, you can limit where these mil- military bloggers can go. Yeah. So by the time they come up to something that's been captured, look at, you cleaned up all the dead, you know, all your dead. Look how great this is. You can stage it. Yeah, you can stage it. When you're falling back and you're losing ground rapidly, nobody's sitting there saying who can go where anymore because everybody's... It's taken off. And so these guys are going up the, they're at the front lines as they're losing this ground. And the reality is very different. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I like that. I'm going to close, close our segment here on our update. Um, kind of with what you were talking about, like, why do we care? Why do we like this so much? Um, uh, shout out to my friend, Jen, who is, lives in Berlin, um, uh, with her two kids. Uh, we, when when the invasion happened, uh, this this invasion hit her very hard. Um, uh, she took in a, a Ukrainian um, refugee, a mom and her son, um, and we we were talking a little, or she reached out and was you know uh, bringing up the good news. I'm always like, hey, this is going on. Um, uh, so you know we we're we're in contact about life and and also like this you know this big thing that's been happening there in europe right very close to home for for germany and she it was it's funny i maybe asked before but i think kind of in a reflective state after the victory kirson uh texted me and said you know why do you care about this so much like why do you care about this so much And, and it was interesting in my typical fashion i was like let me flip the question around why do you care about it so much and she said it's, it's about democracy surviving. It's about, um, you know, the downfall of totalitarianism and authoritarianism. And I said, yeah. And she said a couple other things I can't remember off the top of my head. And I said, uh, I, I, those are all universal. Couldn't say it better myself. Yeah, yeah, those are all universal feelings. And I, and I care about it for the exact same reasons. Yeah. I said, there's real evil in the world sometimes. And, and the, the, the leader of Russia is real evil. And so it's also about good destroying evil um it's about uh i i added on it's about the world order that has existed since world war ii and i'm not saying everything is perfect but i would much rather have uh western democracies liberal democracies in charge of that world order than putin in russia or or xi in china um and this was a a a repudiation in a this is this is where that battle is going to happen and we're winning um on the backs of the, the Ukrainian people who are there fighting and bleeding and dying with our weapons to make it happen. Um, and 
and then I and then we both talked about. It. I said I said it is my one hundred percent belief that had Putin taken Russia, uh, Ukraine, you know, three days, two weeks, whatever. If he had it by now, China would already be invading Taiwan. We'd be in the middle of that conflict. And she was like, I one hundred percent agree. I said so. It it is the it is the first domino mm-hmm. in what would be a chain of events that would be the beginning of a drastic shift of conflict, global conflict, and because the West rose up together in a way that, that I believe China and Russia miscalculated. Yeah, they told, they told Putin to fuck around and find out. Yeah. And he fucked around and, they found, and he found and out. And he found out, and now he's, and now, yeah. and now he's probably going to lose his grip on power. And, well, uh, we hope. And, and his, his military is destroyed. Yeah, it's, 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 gonna, it's, it's, it's setting him back dest- generations. It's absolutely destroyed. Yeah. Um, and, and that has given pause to China. Because the, the ally they thought they had with the strength they thought that they had they don't. Yeah. So, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you think that you are the number one and number two military in the world and there's real power behind that in the numbers, you and you start to see the West fracture and democracy in the U.S. fracture like it's been under pressure since 2016, you're like, hey, let's do this. Let's start, let's start pushing on the gas pedal a little bit here and, and break, this, break this dam. Dan was not fragile, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I mean world. I mean, not the conspiratorial world order, right. but the world order since the post-war. Um, the it has favored the West, and and we can sit here and talk about how that's been unjust, unjust, and that has been uh, led to an imbalance of of um, resources and money. But I still hold out that there's there's a lot of good in what we what we have helped create here in the United States in terms of trying to to maintain some some stability in within the world. Um, it's easy to be critical of our post war uh, sort of structure uh, because we don't know what the alternative would really look like. But I think you're getting a taste of what it would look like with this invasion of Ukraine. Yeah, I. I... On a macro level, right, when you talk about the greater good for the most people, and I, I, I understand I'm biased here because I'm a product of it, but I would much rather have the body politic in terms of who's, who's got the power to keep a, a structure and order to Western liberal democracies than I would to want to cede that to authoritarian states. Um, because I, history has showed us what authoritarian states do when they have world power and it brings nothing but death and misery and, and destruction to all of us. And so, and every time, it does it every time. They do it to their own people when they take over at home. Yeah. They do it to the people. And they the export sa- that. The satellites around them. And it's, it's, never, it's never, oh, everybody's so happy and sunshine. It's never that. And there are ills of Western liberal democracy and capitalism and the, and the global economy, and especially in second and third world nations where they have been you know, taken advantage of economically and controlled politically. Well, even I, within Western liberal democracies, there's imbalance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, and, but and, but and at we're least- We're not brushing that aside. But we're just saying if I have to have the choo- argument. Yeah, if I have to choose yeah. on the amount of death and destruction and economic downturn that comes from both, I'll take democracy every time. Yeah, and we're very, very well aware that if somebody from a developing nation were sitting here with us today, we would, you know, they would have a completely different take. Oh yeah, of course. Not that we, no one here has no and, sympathy and, and, for and, that. And we, and, and and when they brought up all the all the ills and all the sins, we would agree with them a hundred percent. We'd yeah. be like, "Yep, you are a hundred percent right." Because it's that. not, again, I, I don't want to sound corny. It's not that we have 
you know, it's not perfect. It's the right. it's the opportunity to make it more perfect. Yeah, it's the opportunity to when somebody like a Trump and a MAGA movement comes to defeat it three elections in a row and start to cut the wheels out from underneath it so that the people who were okay with it, that allied with it, are like, you know what? I hate losing every time. Maybe it's time to leave this. Remember when he promised that we were going to win? That everybody's we were so tired of winning. So much winning. We're gonna so, be so much tired winning. of winning. Yeah, man, that guy hasn't won anything since yeah. twenty sixteen. That, that's uh, Hogan was on uh, State of the State of the Union this morning on CNN uh, with Dana Bash, and he for those of you guys who don't know, he's the uh, just retired Republican, moderate Republican governor of Maryland. Father was big in politics. Uh, real, real um, pedigree, pedigree of of political, uh, and and he was a, he was a good governor. Um, uh, he he said he said. Yeah, he was always talking about how tired we were going to be winning. He's like, I got to be honest now, after three elections, I'm really tired of losing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, this is a Ukrainian update, so I just want to say yeah, yeah. that one of the things that Zach and I talked about off, off the show was that how our approach, if the, the Republicans would have taken this, how yeah. our approach to Ukraine would have changed drastically. Because we had seen, especially in the last few weeks of the election, a lot of Republicans feeling like they had the cover to come out saying that we're no longer going to, you know, this was this was actually um, this in discussions even amongst people yeah. I work with who are Republican. They're like, you know, we can't we, we can't afford to keep helping these guys. And you're like sitting there going, you know, you can't really afford not, not to. to. Yeah, we don't have you a know? choice. We don't really have a choice here. And not them not understanding that. Yeah, the, what the cost would be, right? Yeah. It's Neville Chamberlain. We 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 can't afford yeah. to like you know like fight this battle here. Let's just take these. It's appeasement. Well, look at what the cost in in human lives in money in yeah. infrastructure was for Europe because yeah. of that appeasement. Yeah, that's where the whole fuck around find out, you know, the, yeah. the, the whole like video or that mathematicians on there yeah. with the graph. One of my buddies at work who who was saying that that would be stupid to give up the fight now. We're so deep into it, yeah. you know, just and just material and money. It's like those things are cheap according to, uh, you know, we're not giving up our lives here. And uh, and he said, you know, listen, man, we we've appeased Putin for for twenty something odd years. He was like, this is the first time under this president that we actually said, fuck around and find out, guy. If you were really gonna do this, you're gonna pay a price for it. And you know, we have an opportunity to put a guy who is, you know, has authoritarian tendencies, if not just outright authoritarian, murderous bastard, back into his box. Like we're not, we've already said we're not fucking around with regime change in in, in Russia. Yeah. That's up to the Russians. Yeah. But you're not going to bring your bullshit over the borders. And if you were to send a send a signal, I mean, some of these Republicans saying that we were going to stop this 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 uh, support for the Ukrainian people and their cause. That, I mean, what would that is insane to me. This the the not to say that they would have done it. They're probably chiming for votes and saying, "Hey, right. inflation's bad here. Why are we supporting those guys over there?" Right. It was a nice little you know end of the end of the election cycle tagline. Right. But I, I don't think anybody would have disagreed that that our approach would have been very different if 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 Biden was going to be up against it with a with a, a Republican Congress. Trump would not have helped. Trump and and would not have helped the Ukrainian people. He would have said, "This is this is a, a Russian Ukrainian issue. We're not getting involved. We're gonna let them settle it." Yeah, I know that. that and and um, because because America would have stayed out of it, Britain wouldn't even have gotten involved because they couldn't have done enough by themselves to do anything to to stop it. So yeah, I, maybe Western Europe did get would maybe gotten involved, but at what level would they have gotten yeah, involved? Not, you know, I, because the the Republic the, the Tories over there are 
I mean, under Johnson, that's probably the only good thing the guy's fucking Yeah, done. yeah, I, I'm not saying, but... But, but what, what effect would it, 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 it Yeah, it, it required... We, we did the heavy lifting. And we, yeah. and, and, and our president, Biden, solidified and made that, that alliance, that NATO alliance, stronger than it's ever been, even when it was first created. It, this is the most united it has, it has been, and, and that alliance is exerting its will. I think the argument was the made conflict. that there was, this was a serious threat to all of Western Europe. Yeah. And I think that that, that solidified it. I know the Germans had waffled a bit on yeah. what they were going to do. And listen, a lot of Western Europeans are, are paying the price for helping, you know, yeah. with, with their with the um, influx of uh, price of gas or, you know, right. fuel and and stuff like that. These guys are paying the price. And, and um, you know, simultaneously, I, I just, I guess, you know, this is a good, this is a good way of just ending this for myself is just saying that, hey, man, how you vote really does have world consequences. It does. Um, yeah, I think, I think, too, I'll just throw this out there. I think what it's also done is brought about the rise of some of the more stronger Eastern European countries in terms of their opportunity for the first time really to turn around and be like to their former master, fuck you. No, Poland and the Czech Republic have been unreal in their support, both militarily. um, And Poland's a shock because... Poland has one of these kind of right-wing populists. You but, know, but, but that's what we talked about. Yeah. Where, and we'll get... The, the situation in Poland and why they're so pro-Ukrainian, despite being more far-right in their government, you'd think it would line up with Russia. But we'll, this is kind of what we're going to go into with how this election panned out for us, is that doesn't always line up because of cultural histories or mm. sins of the past yeah. or things like that. So, um, yeah, uh, you know... Slava Ukraini, and uh, we're happy for them. And um, we'll see what's next. Finish the job. Yeah, finish the job. Take take your land back. Take the take the Donbass back, and take Crimea back. He, that that son of a bitch gets nothing. He gets nothing. He gets nothing. All right, we'll be back with uh, our. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to look at a couple of the the last ditch polls right before uh, the midterms, which. You know, put us in the frazzled state we were when we came to you guys My last week. My dark mood. And then we're I went gonna, goth, Zach. I went goth. We're going to look at the exit polls from the same polling uh, group, uh, which exit polls are always very accurate. And we're going to look at where there was correlation and where they were way off and then why this election broke the way that it did, breaking 90 years of precedent. All right. We'll see you guys real quick. All right, everybody, welcome back to The Moderate Majority with James and Zach and our season two, episode five. Oh, crap. <laughs> Democracy just kicked MAGA in their no-no box. All right, ma'am. Uh, let's take a quick look here, Jenny, yeah. at some of the actual minutia because we get to get back into some like actual data and factual analysis. No, we have facts now. Yeah, we have facts. Why this baby broke down the yeah. way that it did. Um, all right. So pre... Uh, right, right before I think it was about a week before the midterms, um, polling from uh, no SSRS. I think it was SSRS, which usually joins up with CNN, 
had Biden's approval rating among likely voters in the midterm at 42% and his disapproval at 58%. Mm. Um, They rated his priorities as being, you know, that they agreed with at 39% and being right. And his priorities being wrong at 61%. It was the lowest for any modern president. Trump had a 44% rating uh, over his priorities being right uh, before his first midterm. And Obama had 42%. Uh, and they both were shellacked in their yeah. in their first minute. 2010 for Obama, 2018 for Trump. Um, waves, waves. I think, and I, I think Obama lost like 60 something. It was he, like one he of lost the lost a brutal. lot of seats. It he lost in the, in the 60s. Yeah, yeah it was yeah, brutal. Was, ow. Um, he got hit in his no no box. Yeah, he got <laughs> he got hit in his no no box and coughed it out of his mouth. Yeah. Um, which way were the voters going to vote coming up into the election? It was. Um, Forty-seven percent were going to vote for Dems, and fifty-one percent were going to vote for Republicans, and eighty-six percent of the electorate, regardless of who they were, said they were either very or somewhat enthusiastic about voting, which is very high for a midterm. Yeah, off cycle. Yeah, you, yeah. Like you said the other day, felt like it was personal for a lot of people, yeah. and it was. Okay, um, I'm before I jump to the other thing, I'm going to say this for for the exit polling. Uh, what we found out. Uh, interestingly enough, Jay, is that the how the voters were going to vote was dead spot on accurate. Um, the votes they've counted so far, it has been 47% Dems, 51% Republicans, by about 4 million votes or more, which is the first time in a long time that Republicans won a popular vote on anything, congressionally speaking. Um, so if you're listening to this right now, you're now going to yourself, so wait, how did... How did we win? How did that work? Um with going out, going into too much detail, because we have a number of things to cover, it was regionally based. And this is something I talked about in the intro about, like I was really excited about for the first time. This 4751 was an aggregate total. But what we saw was, is that they, it broke down regionally. And so um, we have those exit polls. So in the east, right, uh, where you typically have, you know, the northeast, and this is a blue Democrat stronghold, uh, 55% of voters voted for Democrats and 43% voted for Republicans. That is lower, much lower than it typically is in the East. So the, the Republicans made ground, made up ground there. And you, you do nothing but see the very close race in one of the Connecticut House races mm-hmm. where uh, where she won very narrowly, which shouldn't have been close. Should have walked away with it. And uh, in 2020, out of the 10 competitive seats in New York, Democrats got eight out of the 10. And... I think it's seven three now, but it, it, when they first reported on it, was it, Republicans were leading eight of the ten. Uh, Democratic Democrats in New York suffered greatly. Um, Hochul won the governorship, but Lee Zeldin was in closer than Republicans have been in a governor. I mean, it was like five or six points, mm-hmm. and they usually lose by twenty. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, there, there's something going on there in that state, and so I think that that impacted the East. Um, in regards to the Midwest, um, it was uh, 45% Dems, 53% Republicans. So again, in places like Michigan, Pennsylvania, if they don't put that in the East, um, Wisconsin was very close, right? These would be like kind of in Illinois. This mm-hmm. would be like Democratic strongholds. But there are a lot, Ohio, Indiana, Iowa, the Dakotas. Um, these have become Republican strongholds. And so it was close. It was, it was, that, that was the switch there. But I think closer than a lot of people thought. I know that Ohio 
Democrats had a much outperformed showing than they than they have typically. Yeah, even though about Tim eight, Ryan lost, they, right. they still ca- ca- did really well. I think it's Capitore, ca- ca- uh, the the old woman who's been the longest serving House member. They redistricted her into a um, like plus five or plus six Republican district. And she won by 15 points, but she was going up against a MAGA guy who lied about his military service, was at January 6th, Oath Keeper Connections, just slaughtered his ass. Yeah. So, you know, it it was regionally embraced. This is where I think the majority of that disparity between 47 and 51 happened in the South. was the biggest beatdown that Republicans have had of Democrats in a region altogether. They... Republicans got 57% of the vote to Democrats 42. They took 15 points. And, you know, n- look no closer than to Florida. Which Florida, they made up sh- a shit ton of ground. I mean, it's typically been a three-point swing one way or the other in that battleground state, and they won by 20 points. Yeah, to the point where Zach and I, I think, on election night, were like, Florida's gone. Red. It's yeah, gone. It's gone. It's, it's, it doesn't it's even gone. matter. Anymore. Now, we don't know if that's because of personality politics and DeSantis is, you know, beloved and... You know, he wins by 19 points, and so he brings, you know, he, he brings everybody onto the Republican ticket. Right. Where in other places you saw people splitting their ticket, like, hey, I like DeSantis, but I'm going to vote for this Democratic in my this Democrat in my district. That didn't happen in Florida. Right. People voted straight Republican tickets. So, and it's been trending that way for a while. So I think I'm comfortable to say that Florida is probably still gone. Right. Um, uh, as long as DeSantis is there and that brand of politics plays down there. Right. So... In the West, 53% Democrat, 44% Republican. Um, so again, if you're looking at this and you're trying to calculate it out, you're like, so I still don't understand. Well, here's the deal. Georgia is the only swing state or battleground state in the South. And that's relatively new. And, and if Democrats are going to control things, they don't even need it. So when you look at the presidency or the Senate or even the House, I mean, the, the Democratic strongholds within the state are going to stay Democratic strongholds. Um, but like the East and the West and the Midwest are where most of these battlegrounds were happening. Yeah. And if you look at that aggregate, Democrats end up with the edge. Uh, so if you're going, well, how did you lose 51, 47? It's regionally where these, these, yeah. yeah, it's regionally dispersed. And it's where the, the math added up. Yeah. And so, you know, where yeah, you're taking those numbers that are regionally dispersed and you're trying to put a national average onto it. And so, yeah, the Dems lose, yeah. you know? But I think what it's starting to tell us, too, is is that there is a mathematical control of the White House and the Senate in this dispersion where now it's not even helping out Republicans anymore to where they are and where the population centers are, you know, so... Um, yeah, you can have your southern enclaves, but you're going to have to compete in, in battleground states. And they didn't do bad in battleground states. They just... I mean, listen, it comes down to quality candidates, right? Yeah. And, and, if they, and if they would have run moderates, they probably would have wiped the floor. Yeah, they would have wiped the floor. But, but they, they ran MAGA people. They couldn't get away from Trump and MAGA. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll, 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 we'll debate that towards the end of whether or not Trump really still controls the Republican Party. Because this election cycle, he pretty much did. He They did what he wanted him to do. Yep. You know? And they won bigly. And, no, they didn't. Which bigly means they didn't win. Oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think that's what he means by Got that. it. Okay. So, um... Let's look at what the, 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 the polls right before the this, – this was one of the biggest miscalculations. If you want to look at where polling and forecasting, you know, the issues that pollsters had mm-hmm. and the ones that were honest inside that industry were like, this year's fucked. Yeah. yeah we, we talked about that last – James talked about that in, in, in detail, brought it up again 
uh, earlier in this episode. Okay. They looked at the top seven issues uh, when they polled people. And we were going into this election thinking that economy and the economy and inflation was going to be 51%. That 51% of likely voters cared most about that. And the second one being abortion rights was 15%, one five, right? That is a huge gap between first and second. Voting rights, nine, gun policy, seven, immigration, six, climate change, four, and crime, three. So when, they, when the Republicans were looking at the economy and, and immigration and crime, they're looking at 60% of the electorate saying, this is what I'm voting on. They should have walked away with it. I'm going to destroy, we're going to destroy these people. Yeah. What did it actually end up being? Let's take a look. Here's the exit poll numbers from the same (laughs) SSRS. Number one issue, economy and inflation. Percentage, 31 points. That's a 20% miss on how important this was to the people who actually came out to vote. And of that 31%, even though you're talking about, you know, dissatisfaction, 28% to 71 still went to the Dems, which is a shockingly high number. Yeah, because that was what the Republicans have put all, they put all their bread in one basket. It's going to be about the economy, stupid. And they pulled it basically a 70-30 split. 36, and I know you're like, you just said 28, but when it goes the aggregate between the two parties of the overall total... 36% of people who said that the the economy was either somewhat an issue or not, the country wasn't going in the right direction or inflation, the economy was their issue. 36% of them voted for the Democratic candidate. And that is due to MAGA. Even though they weren't happy, the person they had to vote for that was the alternative, they went for stability and and, and honesty. Well, and also, I'm sorry, messaging, right? I mean, you're a voter. You're saying inflation is the number one issue. And these MAGA people, their number one issue was 2020. Yeah. So um, there was a huge disconnect there between what the candidate was talking about. Yeah, the candidate would give a nod going, inflation's out of control, radical Dems, blah, 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 blah. I'll do the Republican tagline. But we we really want to talk about 2020. Yeah. And not one of them, not one of them in every conversation they would have with the press, if they were going to lose, would you concede or would you throw a, uh, you know, a, a fit? Not every single one of them said that, you know, Basically, I'm not going to lose, right? Yeah. I can't lose. I'm not going to lose. And they wouldn't say what they were going to do if they had lost. I think that right there is a whole bunch of uncertainty and in in, yeah. in, injects a whole lot of a, yeah. a bunch of uncertainty. Okay. Sorry, I just wanted no, to... No, 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 no. Yeah, I mean, that a little bit. No, no, it's huge. If I'm sitting there going, hey, man, the inflation's really big, but this guy keeps talking about 2020, dude. Like, you're not talking my language at this point, and, bud. And we, t- we talked about what this was going to be like. Out, You know, people really worried about violence and how much of this fraud shit was going to follow this election. And it was interesting. We talked about a couple episodes back. I can't remember which one it is now. But we talked about how in the primaries that Republican candidates were losing primaries, they were claiming fraud, voter fraud in their own primaries. And that the majority of Americans were seeing that because it was being published. And that discredits the whole notion that there's actual fraud. You've been saying it's Democrats and illegal immigrants that are doing this, but now you're saying there's fraud in your own election and it's all Republicans Mm -hmm. and everybody hears like election integrity is super important. I think that there is a correlation that somebody will go back and make at some point. 
with the silence on the claims of election fraud and people not being, you know, almost every Republican has conceded their races that they lost, yeah. even the close ones. And there's been nobody coming out being like, this was a stolen election. Yeah. Blake Masters and the RNC brought up some bullshit with Maricopa County and the Republican supervisor there fired back across the bow with everything he had. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. Second most important issue, abortion rights. At... 27%. There's a four-point gap instead of a 36-point uh, gap between those two. And that basically is a, basically a statistical tie. 76% of voters who said that was their issue voted for Democrats to 25%. So in an issue that was only four, uh, only four-point separation between what was most important, more, the the Democrats won that vote by a wider margin than the economy. Than yeah, Republicans it was fifty one percent. It was seventy six. Yeah, it was fifty three points to forty three or something like yeah. that. Um, okay, the third most important issue was a tie between gun policy and crime. Eleven percent for both. Gun policy went to Democrats sixty to thirty seven. Crime went to Republicans 57 to 41. So outperforming on that issue. Yeah, so gun policy outperformed. And, and, and I don't think, Repub if you would have told Republicans they were going to get less than 60% of the support on people who said crime is the most issue, I think they would have been stunned, and I think they were. Well, I think that was the beautiful thing about CRT and the, and the special election. They really thought that that was going to be their number one issue going into the, into the midterm. And the fact that, it, I mean, they're... they're Every article that I read, their internal polls showed that CRT was just not gaining any traction. So they there there are ads that certain congressional congressional people had where they they reshot it and took out CRT and put in crime. Yeah, you know, so it was a latecomer, and I think the fact that you were saying this last episode that crime's actually down. Yeah, and I think that's really being reflected. You know, reflect reflected in our everyday. You know, right. yeah, you still have the petty crimes, people stealing shit out of cars. But you don't even hear about that as much anymore. Right, but the, the violent crime is down all across the board. And so it's really kind of, you're, you're kind of, again, the Republicans were arguing an uphill battle there of like, who are you going to believe, us or your own experience? And I think people were like, dude, the economy's killing me, man. Well, That's my and the fact one. that that party is saying crime, I'm, I'm going to bring crime down, but my solution to gun violence is put more guns on the street. Yeah, yeah, it, it, yeah. Know. But I will say this because this is accurate. Crime going from 3% pre-poll to 11% and going 16 points to Republicans is why Democrats, Democrats lost House seats in New York. Crime I was a big issue for New Yorkers, and it was also a big issue in Wisconsin. So you take the fact that it outperformed what people thought the value of it was going to be by eight points or three times as almost four times as much of a value they than what they thought yeah. prehand. And Milwaukee was uh, was lowest turnout in five election cycles. You can see why, why. I think if the Republicans had started this argument early, it would have would have been even more important of an issue. They right. they really drove that home in a short amount of time. Right. Yeah. So I give them a lot of credit for 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 flipping in the middle. Way to go race. after the fear, boys. <laughs> yeah. Way to go after the yeah, fear and always get people to follow you yeah. down there. I, that give, road. I give I give them a lot of credit. If they would have done this probably from day one, they probably would have they probably would have carried the day too. Yes. All right. So seventy two percent of uh, respondents in the initial poll before the midterm said that uh, things were not going well in the country as an aggregate, and seventy five percent said the economy is in a recession right now. Again, it's not. But um, oh, by the way. We didn't get to see this on film. Jimmy and I, through all of this stuff, didn't have a chance to talk about I hope it. I the governor not in film. 
I'm sorry, film, <laughs> re, re, whatever, recording. Yeah, yeah. There's Goo Boy's been secretly it's, recording uh, it's us. Not looking good. There, right there's, now. A, there's a YouTube. There's a YouTube channel. Um, <laughs> I hope not. We yeah. never will never do that. My bad. I, my, my, as soon as you see my, our faces, you're running from this thing. My fat, memory riddled brain has misspoken. It's my um, second chin doing all the talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we've done, we've not put this on the podcast, but we should say this because it got thrown in there and just swept on the rug. Inflation down almost by half a point. We're down to seven point seven percent, friends. Okay, so well, that was gonna. I was gonna mention this. Like, wouldn't that have been shitty if they won on inflation and just wiped wiped the floor with the Democrats, and then it's coming down? Well, it's it, like that would have been just like the salt in the and and, and 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 it has been, folks. And yeah. let's just watch how this continues yeah. to happen. And if they do end up controlling the House by the slimmest of margins. That will happen at the end of January or beginning of January. I can't remember with the congressional and then when that flips. But but I would like you to go back and watch the chart trend and that there were things that were done specifically. And then look at it. It's a global issue. So look at the U.S. compared to everybody else. But thank you very much. I'm going to leave it from there. Um, okay. Out of the people that said the economy, you know, was talking about the economy, 55% of the people, or sorry, 53% of the people, oh, no, no. So the things are not going well, but the economy is in recession or bad, 75%. But here's an interesting part and why I think Democrats perform better. Even though 75% of the people said that, they then asked a second question in the poll. Are you satisfied with your own uh, economic status or are you dissatisfied? 53% of people said that they were satisfied. So the economy is falling apart, but the majority, that's never happened before in polling. Never before have Americans given that bad of a grade to the economy or the direction of the economy or inflation. And then a majority have said that they're satisfied with their own, like their own economic situation. 47% yeah. said they're not satisfied. So it's only a six point gap. But if you, if, if the country is saying that they're dissatisfied, like that the economy is shit and that inflation is horrible and the direction is horrible, then the majority of people usually say their own economic situation is also horrible. Yeah. People are voting their own their own experiences right. at this point. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot to be said, and, and I just this is a cautionary tale for the Democrats. Don't let up on this. Right. Because Zach and I differ on this, like in terms of an overall recession, maybe not. But there are certain sectors in this country that are getting hammered really, really badly right now. And not because of the feds, it's not a conspiracy. I know Zach the other day had some some dental work done and he he texted me like what what are you what are you on like this conspiracy theory for or something? And I was like, what are you talking about or something? He's like, I just had some dental work done. I'm high as a kite. Because yeah. like, he was like, he's normally not that surly to me. But I, I think that there are targeted areas in, in in our economy that are already showing signs of an of of recession. Yeah, it's just not enough to bring us over the tipping point because there's a lot of other indicators that are holding us up. Right. Um, the supply chain is continuing to be an issue. Right. Um, and that's not alleviating. And we have not done anything politically to stave off, uh, you know, obviously price gouging and people raising their prices for no fucking reason. Right. And I, that's why, dude, and I don't think we talked about this, but uh, no, we did. I think we, I think this is where we were texting and you got surly. Yeah. Um, because um, Biden had, I sent you earlier that day, uh, a text on Biden, um, basically like saying, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do a. I'm gonna do a uh, a tax increase on the 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 oils win the the windfall of profits on oil, so I love that. You know what I mean? Like there was something that we were doing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So um, sorry, I got a little distracted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. Um, okay. So let's take a. We have an exit poll thing that kind of ties into what we were talking about right there. So they looked at the people who said the way things are going. 
5% of people who voted said that they, that, um, you know, they were very enthusiastic about the direction of the country. Mm-hmm. And those, those voters won, Democrats won those voters 78 to 22. 20% of the people who showed up to vote said they were satisfied with the way that the country was going. And Democrats won those voters 87 to 11. Wow. 41% of the electorate, the biggest chunk of the electorate that showed up, said they were dissatisfied with the country. But Republicans only beat Democrats 50 to 48 that's, out of dissatisfied. That's, yeah, that's nothing. Well, losing with the group that they, and then 33% said that they were angry, and that went to Republicans 78 to 21. Yeah. Um, all right. We um, are going to, because we're going to try and break this into like two sections here, but, um, or actually, we're, we're just about done with the, the thing, so we're going to kind of wrap up, but I wanted to touch on two more things real quick. Um, Jimmy, when we were freaked out, we were talking about, you know, Maybe there's not a moderate majority left anymore. Like maybe yeah. we've we've wrongly named this show. Yeah, uh, we're just going to go over something real fast. So, um, uh, you know, in terms of the age, the age group, eighteen twenty four year olds broke sixty one thirty six Democrat, twenty five twenty nine year olds sixty five thirty three Democrat, thirty to thirty nine year olds fifty four forty three Democrat, forty to forty nine year olds fifty two forty five Republican, fifty to sixty four year olds fifty five forty four Republican, and sixty five plus fifty five forty three Republican. Uh, 18% of the voters strongly approved of the job Biden did, 96 to 2 Democrat. 26% of the voters who showed up somewhat approved of the job that Biden did, 91 to 7%. 10% of voters showed up somewhat disapproved of the job that Biden is doing, but 49 to 45 for Democrats. Yeah, that's plus four. That's that was the difference. stunner. Yeah. And that is the MAGA effect that they were saying. Yeah. They were disapproving, but the, the option was crazy yeah. over it. So, and then 45% strongly disapproved, and they won that, and, and Republicans won that 95 to 4%. So, Which is their base anyway. And here's another thing that's interesting the economy, they asked in the exit polls, is the, the voters who said the economy is good broke for Dems 89.9. Those who said not so good broke for Dems 62 to 35. That's huge. And poor was 88. 10 Republicans, they asked about people's experience with inflation. 20% of voters said they had severe hardships, broke to Republicans, 71, 28. 59% of the electorate said they had had moderate hardships. They only broke to Republicans 52 to 46, though. And 19 said they had no hardships, and they broke down to 75, 22. But I want to say this, and this is this is where I'm, I'm coming at this. And this were, these were the two shocks for me, and I think where the polling said it was going to go. Self-identified Democrats were only 33% of the electorate. It's the lowest percentage of Democrats voting in a, in a midterm or an election in I can't remember how long. So enough, this should have been a red wave. 96 to 3 for the Democratic candidate. Republicans made up 36% of the electorate and also voted 96 to 3 for their candidate. Independents made up 31% of the electorate, a very big chunk, but they broke Democrat by two points, 49 to 47. And most polling priors said they were going to go Republican anywhere from 12 to 16 points. Yeah. So that was a stunner. And I'll finish with this one, Jay, and then we can have our closing thoughts. Um, they looked at identity or sorry. Yeah. Ide- ideology. 34% of the people who showed up to vote in this midterm call themselves liberals. I'm sorry. 24% of the people who should have called themselves liberals. They voted for Democrats 92 to 7. Okay. Lockstep. Conservatives, identif- self-identified conservatives, 36% of the electorate voted for um, uh, Republicans 91 to 8. Mm. So the, the, the Democrats got the edge. But here it is. M- self-described moderates. 
made up 40% of the electorate. Folks, the moderate majority still fucking exists in this country. And they showed up. And how did they break? Dems 56, Republicans 41. If you had run, if the Republican Party had run moderate candidates, that number probably would have been flipped on its head. But they MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. And the moderate majority does not want MAGA in our lives at all. We want a functional two-party system with two rational This actors. is where moderate Democrats and moderate Republicans actually come together. Yeah. And say, hey, man, enough with the, the, the fucking buffoonery. Let's just, let's just continue on. This, is, this has nothing to do with Donald Trump. This has everything to do with who we want to be. It has everything to do with Donald Trump. At the same time, we well, don't want anything to do split, with Donald Trump. Split ticket voters in Georgia, the, the, the people who voted for, the Camp, Republic, for yeah. Kemp, the Republican governor, who's a moderate establishment Republican, and Raffnesberger, who's also defended, both of them defended the 2020 election. Which is election. why I think the only reason why they right. win. Like, the, there was almost 300,000 people in Georgia who voted for Kemp, but then voted for Warnock over Walker. Or, or a lot of them just or, walked or, away. Or walked away. Yeah. All right. So that is that is where we are and how we got That's here. That's the postmortem. That's the postmortem. Jimmy, thanks for uh, thanks for coming out today, man. No, yeah, it's good to be back in awesome. person. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird. Yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get an hour and a half episode here. People are gonna actually probably listen to the whole thing. Yeah. Um, so we don't know uh, where we're at, folks. Uh, by the time we come back next week, we may have an, another kind of partial like wrap up on like. We may be looking at like a state of play. Yeah, we're going to get more numbers because because we'll we'll know who's in control. Because Alaska still hasn't been called because they have the ring system. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, so, so we're gonna we're gonna look at all that. So that's probably where we're gonna we'll be. Have a, we'll have a midterm update. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, it'll be like our state of play moving forward. Yeah. This is the state of play moving forward. Now let's see. We'll start talking about what what the direction of the com- country is going to be in the next two years. And we're also going to start talking about the leadership battles because yes. that's going to be really interesting. Yeah, that's what we're going to be looking at. Is there's going to be a there's going to be a civil war within the Republican Party. Yeah, um, after three consecutive losses in a row so we'll see how that goes down all right brother thanks for coming out oh yeah we will see you guys later all right take care